0: Motherfuckers, It's Die Hard week. Welcome to We Read the Book. I'm Adam Heap.
1: <laughs> Way to start it off. Uh, I'm Lois.
0: And we're joined this week by our debut guest, Brad Kinsella. Hi, Brad. Hey, yon. Yeah, pretty good. Um, welcome to the show. You want to tell us a little bit about yourself in one sentence?
2: Yeah, um, I am currently the captain for the Perth City Misfits in the Street Roller Hockey League. Um, you might know us as the Millennials getting kicked off a netball court near you. Go, Misfits!
0: Awesome. <laughs> uh, we've got our question of the week. So, uh, because it's Die Hard Week, we're going to talk about Bruce Willis. Uh, he was primarily known as a comedic television actor before he was cast as the all-action hero John McClane. Uh, knowing this, what comedic actor or actress would you take into a skyscraper with you to fight a group of terrorists, Lois.
1: I'm going to choose Paul Rudd. Uh, I think he was the perfect choice for Ant-Man because he's like super funny. Um, he brought a completely different energy to Civil War. It was really good. His couple of scenes. Yeah, I'm going to go with Paul Rudd.
0: What's he? What's, how's he going to help with the terrorists, though? Is I don't he going to laugh them to death?
1: I don't know. Be charming, I guess. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we'll see how that plays out yeah. for
1: you. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, Brad. I would probably choose Andre Brower of Brooklyn 99 fame, provided that if it were him, he would be doing it entirely in the Captain Ray Holt persona. So everything delivered completely deadpan. There's just something about yippee Kai, motherfucker. That just, I feel institutes confidence in
0: him. Yeah, definitely. I think he's, he's like he's got just got a natural authority about him. Yeah. I'd, I'd feel pretty confident if he was in the building with me. I'm going to also choose an actor from Brooklyn Nine-Nine in Andy Samberg. Uh, based on his character's knowledge of Die Hard, I'm pretty sure that he would know all the tropes and ins and outs to help me combat the terrorists, although we would probably die very quickly.
2: That was actually a plot of an episode, if I remember correctly. Yes. Yep. Yeah, well, they,
0: and he was so thrilled that it was actually Die Hard. Uh, Well let's talk about Die Hard then So we're going to go with a little bit of a change in formula this week uh, Because we want to focus on one of either Mook or Boovie Yep. Mm -hmm. Because we want to focus on either the book or the movie, uh, we're going to take a vote before we talk about either and decide which among our panel we prefer, and then that's going to be our primary focus for the remainder of the show. So this week, because we're comparing and contrasting the movie Die Hard, directed by John McTiernan, and the book it was adapted from, Nothing Lasts Forever by Roderick Thorpe, uh, we need to decide as a group, based on their merits, which we prefer. Uh, So, I mean, I guess we get one vote each. Uh, My vote's going to the book, Nothing Lasts Forever. Yeah, book. And I'm going to be your one out and say that I go for the movie. Which means we're about to have an interesting discussion, I think. (laughs) All good. So, uh, let's talk about if we think the movie's a good adaptation.
1: Uh, Yeah, I think it is a good adaptation. They make a couple of changes, but nothing nothing super uh, relevant to the central plot, I think. Like, the central plot pretty much remains the same. The changes are superficial and probably to do with, I think, probably 10 years had passed since the book was written because the book seems to be very 70s in its timing and the movie is obviously really, really 80s, early 90s. so
2: I think it was, what, 79 was when the book was released in 88, so the film is as old as I am. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting that they did a good job of taking what was effective Effectively a sequel story and making a standalone film out of that. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's definitely hard to do, isn't it? I think. Um, obviously, uh, nothing lasts forever.
0: Was a sequel to the book, The Detective, uh, 19, which is also made into a 1968 film starring Frank Sinatra. And it's not. I mean, it's, it's. A lot of us were surprised when we realised that Die Hard was an adaptation from a book. Uh, you just don't really think of books as being a natural source uh, for action movies. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely. It's there's a different pacing to the book and all that sort of thing. But I think it's a really good adaptation. It's it's hard to not take you know action from a book into a movie because you know obviously you have to play some elements a little differently because you have to represent things visually. But I think that for what it is, it, um, taking the characters and the central story, I agree with you there, Loss. I think it's, I think it's a pretty reasonable um, uh, version
2: of the original novel. Could have been very different as well, because uh, the studio, because it was still technically a sequel to The Detective, Fox was contractually obliged to offer the role to Sinatra. So if he'd have taken it, we would have actually seen what I felt was closer to what they saw in the book, which was an, an older man, somewhat past his prime, still taking down these younger kids. We'll
0: give you a bit of a plot summary for those of you who don't know the story of Die Hard or Nothing Lasts Forever. So, retired NYPD detective Joe Leland is visiting his daughter on Christmas Eve at her workplace party on the 32nd floor of a skyscraper when it's attacked by a group of German terrorists led by Anton Gruber. Leland manages to slip away and commences an attempt to save his daughter and the hostages by taking out the 12-strong terrorist party one at a time, aided by LAPD Sergeant Al Powell. Al Powell. Al Powell. Your old pal, Al. (laughs) So let's talk about the casting then, because there's a lot of interesting choices, and we've just met, we've just talked for a second there about Bruce Willis being the eventual choice, and obviously that they were contractually obliged to offer it to Sinatra. I want to read you guys a list of the character of the actors who were offered this role and turned it down. Sylvester Stallone, Harrison Ford, Richard Gere, Clint Eastwood, Burt Reynolds. That's a, that's a lot of movies worth of experience and action star that they are that they considered this role for before eventually giving it to Bruce Willis, who was primarily, as we've said, uh, a comedic star known for the show Moonlighting.
1: Yeah, it's funny because, uh, as Brad said, this was was made... I was born in 1989, so uh, this was made before I was born. And so for my whole life, Bruce Willis has been an action star. So for me, it's really weird thinking that he wouldn't have been one of the first choices for this movie because that's all I think of him as, is this action star. I mean and he's done some com- comedy stuff. Um, I watched, re- I watched uh, Red uh, a few weeks ago and um, he was really good in that. That's about like aging spies, basically. Even Red,
0: though, is is a parody of action movies, yeah. you know, in that yeah. sort of but, sense.
1: But he is funny in a lot of the movies that he does. Um, but yeah, it's, it's such a weird thing to... When you remember that um, a lot of these stars that are in their 40s or 50s they actually had a career before we were even born <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, and it can be very different to what you know them for now yeah absolutely
2: particularly with the action heroes in the 80s for the most part you think if you still owns your van dams your schwarzeneggers and all of the films that they do they're very clearly sort of in control they're all powerful even like say in predator where arnie's taking on this alien hunter basically he's still very much not in a position where you think he's weak whereas yeah. there's a lot of points in in Die Hard I guess where Bruce Willis comes off as not being completely in control of the situation like he's it's a more human action hero yeah yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think the, the movie and
0: book go to great lengths to make this character against the odds in the injuries he suffers, the number of uh, assailants that he's up against, and that sort of thing. I think uh, and it it, does it pretty well. It creates a nice underdog story, and uh, I think Bruce Willis plays it pretty effectively. You know, yeah. this this is the movie that made him uh, an action star for the next twenty years, and and still going. You know, these days, I mean, Die Hard four was out. Die Hard five, Die. 5 was out only three years ago. Yeah. Maybe it shouldn't have been, but that's a story for another time. Um, <laughs> but I mean, this movie is so culturally pervasive. I was super excited to watch this, knowing just I know so much about it from culture, from Brooklyn Nine Nine, from The Simpsons, from it's everywhere, you know, yeah. the, the sayings and the. I think
1: my um, first introduction to Die Hard was Friends. And and friends are so quintessentially nineties, it's it's just they're both these things stuck in time. I always put the two of them together. It's very it's And very Bruce weird. Willis
0: did end up on Friends at one point. That's true, as, yeah. <laughs> uh, as in one of his better comedic roles. So Yeah. I mean, aside from Bruce Willis, I mean obviously there's another major standout player in this, Alan Rickman. Oh my God, uh, he's amazing! Oh man, so I mean, obviously uh, the great man passed away uh, quite recently, but this is uh, going back to watch this, and, and this is again one of his formative roles in a his, his first major role in a feature film. He's so good. He's so such good. a perfect villain. Yeah, a uh, spot on casting, and I believe they ended up uh, choosing him after watching him in a British play and just loving the his his villainy and his uh, menace that he carry, that he carries here. Um, It's interesting, uh, a bit of trivia around later on in the film where there's a scene and he meets the McLean character before the climax, which is an addition to the uh, the plot of the book. Uh, And they added that because they realised that Rickman could do an American accent and they figured out that he could play this you know uh, fake hostage as he was trying to get close to the character and so like, he obviously had a lot of talent back then and they uh, yeah he's he's definitely the other major star of this film
1: also quintessential super attractive rickman mm. <laughs> <laughs> like his little like beard and yeah everything his slightly salt and pepper hair
0: i mean I, that's I, that, I,
1: that's some spot on attractive rickman <laughs> yeah but I, mean, I like for
0: me i was introduced to Alan rickman as as professor snape as yeah. a lot of people in my generation will have been and I I never really knew him as a younger person. Who and I was like, oh my god, he's actually quite good looking.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, Snape is a character that tries to get away from that that aspect of the character. He's not physically attractive at all. But uh, but Hans Gruber is uh, he's a good looking terrorist.
1: Yeah. I mean, you he's know, a he's, he's sexy, pretty sexy he's terrorist. Pretty, he's, t- <laughs> <laughs> he's
0: at the top of the list of uh, hot terrorists. You know, I would swipe right on whatever app you go to to date terrorists. <laughs> Um, the rest of the casting is pretty <laughs> indifferent. Uh, uh, Macaulay Culkin's mum uh, plays uh, Holly, or oh, you know the role of Steffi from the book. But yeah, I mean it's 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 the Bruce Willis show. Like, let's be honest.
1: Even the um, other terrorist or Al Pal, as we were saying before, like they're not recognised more actors that...
0: uh, Can we call him our Pal? Al Pal? Uh,
1: you can. Cool. <laughs> you, I
0: think we have to. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a pretty. Bottled set. I mean, obviously, the eight floors of a skyscraper, roughly, I think they go from 30 to something in the movie and it's 32 to 40 in the book. The set is actually the 20th Century Fox Studios headquarters building.
1: Oh, okay. Uh,
0: And and another interesting fact is that they rented it from themselves and paid themselves rent because it was still under construction at the time of filming. Which is that scene where he goes into one of the floors where almost no work had been done and there were tools. That was just the building that they were working on at the time. I I mean, know. Again, like that's something I know from culture. I know the name Nakatomi Plaza, even though I'd never seen the movie. It's yeah. such a, a, a pervasive. Well,
1: let's talk impulse. about that for a second. So, as we sort of go into the plot, so the first, the first major change from book to movie is again, because you've gone from 70s to 80s, uh, is they've made the corporation Japanese. So that would be a lot more relevant to um, American or even Western audiences. That's sort of big Japanese corporations. That's a real trope in 80s movies. 80s, early 90s movies is these Japanese corporations coming into Western markets. So it, it's gone from, it's called Klaxon in the book, which is just Klaxon sort of an, yeah, yeah. generic name to this definitely Japanese name and the, the head of the corporation is Japanese and um, yeah. So that, that's like the first change. Um, and then the other slight thing is they've gone from having a project in Peru Having a project in Indonesia. So it's, that to me really showed the time because it showed the, um, the real sudden growth of the Asian markets, hmm. um, as opposed to late seventies when, um, they really weren't kind of, um, players on, in, in Western stock markets. Hmm. Yeah. It's just a really, really interesting time stamp to yeah. go from reading the movie and it's Southern America to, uh, the, so reading the book and it's South America and then the movie is suddenly Japan and Indonesia.
0: Yeah. But in spite of all of that, I just love the fact that Americans—they just love to make German villains. Yeah. They for what they just—I mean, this is obviously a long-standing uh, resentment from you know World War Two, uh, and Germans are easy people to portray as villains. But uh, Hans Gruber is definitely up there as people you think of as, as quintessential yeah. German villain yeah. uh, aspects and.
1: and well, he was—he's like Anton Gruber in the. Yes,
0: that's why. So let, yeah, so let's talk about some of those—not um, uh, maybe not, not maybe major plot changes, but yeah. Um, Surface level changes, Uh, so the main character's names have changed slightly. I mean, his last name's still Gruber, but he goes from Anton Gruber to Hans Gruber. I mean, I suspect that's probably just to be like, he's German, uh, in big, bold letters for the uh, viewer, Um, because I, I mean, I was like, Anton Gruber, is he Spanish? Yeah. Because um, he's Tony, little Tony. Little Tony, Tony Gruber. The Re- Tony yeah. the Red. That's definitely like a, an Italian or a Spanish name um, yeah. rather than a German one. So Hans is, is the German name that you yeah. go with. Um, and obviously the main character goes from Joe Leland to John McClane. I, it sounds more action It maybe. was probably
1: focus grouped. Yeah. You know, John McLean rolls off the tongue a bit better than Joseph Leland or Joe Leland. Yeah. Um, John McLean
0: sounds a bit younger, I, I suspect. maybe. Yeah,
1: though. I don't know, like... You you just don't know with these name things, these name changes. It's just the studio. They've, they've got some algorithm and they look at it and they go, that's a bit better name for the poster than Joseph Leland. So. You know, to be fair, John McClane is the name that we know. Yeah, well,
0: everyone knows the name of John McClane <laughs> yeah. now, you know.
2: Like, no one knows no. who Joe Leland is yeah. if you would walk up to him on the street. Might have been as well just because they already had established the detective and the character Joe Leland. Also yeah. true, yeah. That's so maybe fair. they were trying to distance um, this new project they were doing from, from that. Like, this yeah. is now a standalone movie. This is not Joe Leland. This is a new guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, no one would suspect that the movies
0: The Detective and Die Hard are remotely connected, would they? And despite the fact that their books are direct sequels. Yeah. Um, The other, uh, another, like, semi-major change is that uh, Steffi, uh, Joe Leland's daughter, becomes John McClane's wife, Holly. Yeah. uh, In the movie.
1: So I'd say that was probably the biggest change which had an impact on the story. Um, you know, changing his name, changing the villain's name doesn't really affect anything. Even changing the where the company's from doesn't change anything. But the heart of the story changes a lot when it's his wife who's in danger in danger instead of his daughter. Changes a lot
0: about the character and himself, the focus yeah. character. In this.
1: And because in the book the wife isn't isn't there. She's she's passed away ten years ago. So they and they were divorced before that. So yeah, it really changes the book because I mean for the obvious reason fatherly love is so different from the love you have for your partner and in the movie they start off that they've been estranged for six months because she moved to LA for this job that she's got this she's basically the second in command of this huge company I think to start with it lowered the stakes but as as the movie progressed, it made the stakes higher. Almost, I think
0: my suspicion on this is probably it just makes it less complex for. And this yeah. is, let's not forget, this is a summer summer blockbuster movie, which is the reason for the other major change I'll talk about in a second or two. Uh, but you've got to kind of. I mean, it's an action movie. You know, you go to this to watch John McClane shoot shoot bad guys. That's why yep. you're going and you don't, I mean, you don't have time for the intricacies of the book, which is why a lot of them and a lot of the characters in the book who are assisting McLean in his endeavours are kind of cut out uh, in favour of a more streamlined story in yeah. Die Hard, I think. And that would be my suspicion as to why this this change was made. It also allows him to have a bit of redemption sort of arc at the end uh, in, in some way. Uh, the other change that's, I, I feel it's on a similar nature to this and it affects the nature of the complexity of both of them is that the terrorists become thieves. Hans Gruber's group in the, in the movie is very different to, uh, Anton Gruber's in the book. In the book, uh, Anton Gruber is, is searching to redistribute wealth and it's a terrorist group with a very specific aim of sabotaging a corporation. In the movie, Hans Gruber's just a thief who wants money. Yeah. Which is, I uh, was, something I was quite surprised about. I thought that they probably could have done something with that, you know, in the movie. But, uh, so I was quite surprised to learn that they'd taken that down a notch, I guess.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, it's been almost 30 years since this movie came out. I think we're now used to action movies that do present something you have to think about or at least try to. I think, as you were saying before, this was probably one of the first movies where you didn't just have the Arnie action hero who just never showed any weakness at all. So I think as a first step, it's probably fine. I also thought like, oh no, they've just made it so simple and the villains seem really stupid now because all they want is the money, but... For the time, I think uh, it's pretty it's pretty standard yeah. to not have a huge conflict in a movie. It's just about shooting people. Well, John
0: McTiernan, the director of this, has gone on the record as saying he changed this because it was a summer blockbuster and he wanted to make it less scary, I think. Um, I mean, terrorism has obviously been a part of our world for, for decades now. But I mean, I wonder if this movie, and aside from the fact that there have been four sequels, if this movie had
2: been made nowadays, you they would be terrorists, without yeah. a doubt. yeah. I think it's also, it was, again, different sources. When you thought about terrorism in the 80s, it was things like the IRA. There yeah. was still, even though communism was in the decline, there was still the ever-present threat of that. And I think the idea of suggesting that the communists were, in any way, still powerful at that time probably wouldn't have tested as well. But yeah, definitely, if you remade the movie in 2016, they'd be terrorists, they'd be Middle Eastern, and they'd be taking down a corporation for pretty much the same reasons that Anton was trying to take down Claxton. Uh, yeah. yeah. Let's get into it. Let's talk about uh,
0: Nothing Lasts Forever slash Die Hard. Uh, we open up. I
1: kept calling it uh, Tomorrow Never Dies.
0: <laughs> i found myself doing that as well I'm like this is really just like there's such a generic
1: yeah the phrase is so so nothing that i kept forgetting what it was called and i'd be like i'm reading tomorrow never dies and people were like the bond one and i'm like no the the die hard one i can't
0: specifically remember but i remember when i did get to the end of the book there's a little section about how Roderick thorpe the author was writing this and there's some of his personal notes on the, the first draft of this and he talks about why it was called Nothing Lasts Forever, something very existential and, and
2: irrelevant to the plot of Die Hard. But yes, I mean he, he clearly had his reasons. Um, For me I just thought it was a sense that because you got the idea that I guess we probably don't want to jump ahead to the ending, but it very much throughout the book you get the idea that he's not he might not survive this. And the fact that it's just showing just how human he is.
0: Yeah. All uh, right, so we open up with uh, with Joe Leland uh, in the taxi on his way to the airport. He's obviously on his way to visit his daughter, Steffi, who is on the other side of the country in LA.
1: Yeah, um, and his grandchildren.
0: Yes, mm-hmm. who are also in the building. Although, as we see later on, that's a really weird thing for her to do, to bring her kids to this party where she's just interested in doing cocaine. Mm.
1: Yeah, well, they, they he does set up that there are other people who have brought their families, but
0: she's when I mean, she's clearly described as very responsible from the start. Even when he's thinking about it before he's seen her, it, he's like she has kind of gone off the rails, a yeah, bit and is just a pawn in kind of this business world.
1: Right from the start, I have to say. Even though the movie basically has one female character, the movie treats women a lot better than the book does. <laughs> a lot, lot better. I mean, maybe we can get into them at the, in, the specific instances, but I was reading the book like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> this is not fun for me.
0: <laughs> uh, and so, and then he gets gets into the airport. We introduced to a character who's completely cut from the movie. Uh, Kathy Logan uh, is one of the air hostesses, and she's kind of used to to go into depth about his previous relationship with his now deceased wife Karen, uh, who was obviously uh, was also divorced uh, from him long before she died. But it's they go really into depth in this character and just like his romantic interests and, and kind of who he was beforehand. And he's definitely, I think, I I wouldn't say he's portrayed as old, but he's portrayed as you know he's. Had a lot. His experience, you
2: know, like he's he's world worn. Well, I think they they talk about the fact that Leland is a World War Two veteran as a pilot, and this is still the as far as I understand it, the book is set in the year um, when it came out. So he'd still be a pretty old man. Fifties fifties at that 50s, earliest. Sixties, yeah. probably.
1: Sixties. Yeah, I was picturing him about sixty five, probably sixty five plus. Not a young man to be doing the things that he does in the movie. Yeah, and
0: it makes his his. Adventure all the more impressive. I mean, I didn't really keep it in mind the whole way through, but that's definitely an impressive feat for him to kind of go into battle with these people.
1: Yeah, I really actually quite liked that uh, Thorpe didn't keep reminding you that this was an older man because I think that would have got really boring. (laughs) Like he sets it up, and then you've either got it in your mind or you don't. But you know he's not in his twenties. Like even if you're picturing him as forty, that's still kind of too old Not to be doing a lot of the physic- ac- Past your physical yeah. prime, definitely. Too old to be doing the physical things that he's doing... And um also that he's been he's been out off the streets. He's not been a cop for six or seven years. He's been a private detective, which is very different physical work. You know, like it's it's all kind of makes up for this person who, yeah, has the skills, but maybe is past his prime with them. So, um yeah, it's interesting. I also thought the flight from New York to L.A. and everything that happens there was a really good way of getting a lot of information out to the reader without it feeling like you were just telling us. You know, he's on a plane, so he's thinking about how he flew planes because that's a natural thing for him to be thinking about. So that annoyed me in the movie when it starts off and he's scared of flying. (laughs) So I was like, well, that's completely ruined that bit of the character. I mean, it did allow the guy to tell him to take his shoes off when he got to the other end. But, um, yeah, I thought that was a funny change from going to being a literal, like, Air Force guy to I'm scared of flying was a mm-hmm. bit of a...
0: Especially when they go in, there's a section later in the book where he describes, you know, his, his joyful flying his little Cessna about yeah, like he was loves some of the happiest the times book. of his life.
1: Yeah, I, I figured there was a lot of bits... I find this a lot in um spy books or... Sort of male written spy books and those kind of things, they take a lot of joy in like describing machines. <laughs> it's always a guy who's like, Yeah, and he had this kind of gun with this kind of thing on it. And I'm like, Cool, that means literally nothing to it's me." It's poison their
2: toys. Yeah, yeah we, <laughs> love, we love working with our yeah. tools. Yeah. Tools, it's cars, like, planes. Any cars,
1: planes. It's like, It's this with this engine. I'm like, Yep. So it's a car then. It sure is a
0: car. <laughs> Yeah, so they get a lot of information out uh, through Kathy Logan. It's kind of established that he's actually interested in a woman, maybe for the first time in quite a while, uh, like sincerely.
1: Yeah, he's Uh, a hetero man. He likes women. Can we
0: talk here for a second? Because I'm not sure I've never read The Detective, which was the sequel, the the prequel. It wasn't the prequel. It was the original novel to which this book is the sequel. Are there references in here that we're not understanding because they're talking about his previous exploits and stuff? I have no idea
2: what The Detective is about. Like literally none. I should have researched it for the show, but I didn't. I, re- I read the synopsis on Wikipedia because I didn't have the time to read The Detective. But he does talk a bit about the case that The Detective was involved with, which was uh, Colin McCliver, who was the guy they found with his, uh, his penis cut off. That whole story and the fact that it linked back to an original case that he had effect- effectively sent a man to his death, and how it still haunts him. So that's pretty much the only connection between the two. Otherwise, they're pretty much okay. Because like-
0: there, there were definitely bits during the book where I was confused about what they were talking about. I wonder if this is just a part of Thorpe's style in his writing. But there were even bits of the action where I, I he, he, it's kind of stuttered and he's just like it's almost as if he's going through the thought process. Which is just bang, 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 really coming at you very quickly. And you kind of lose track of it. It's not exactly sequential.
1: Yeah. It's very zigzaggy well, and all yeah. over the
0: place at times. And in reference to... He kept talking about this, like the liver or the lucky something uh, in the beginning. Uh, it was definitely like he was referring back to something that had happened before this. Right. And they never really go into depth about what it is. And I wondered if you had to have understood the detective to get what he was talking about there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely found there were bits in the book where uh, we were laughing before because we were saying he goes upstairs and then he goes downstairs again then he goes upstairs and then he goes downstairs again because uh, he can't really use the lifts. Elevators for our American listeners. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were definitely bits where something would happen and he'd say like this person was over here and I'd think suddenly, oh, we're, we're not where I thought we were. <laughs> mm. Like I would have thought that we were on the roof and we we're actually inside or, or even um, this person was dead and I'm like, I didn't even realise they were in the room. <laughs> you know, I like to think I, I'm good at passing what I'm reading. So um, yeah, it, it, it is quite a play-by-play play style of writing, but I think that's why it makes a good action movie. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, There's definitely benefits for this becoming an on-screen adventure as opposed to a solely a book format. Yeah. So he ends up uh, at the building. Obviously, uh, there is no limo driver in the book. Uh, at least, no, there's no. Well,
1: he does get taken by limo, it but you don't. But there's no the character of Argyle. Yeah.
0: Let's talk about Argyle for a moment. Argyle is dumb, and I don't. What like an him. idiot! <laughs> 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 I like Was him that? as a. I like him as a contrast kind of a thing. That he's a young like guy who's obviously into his own thing. But what's his role in the film?
1: Well, was he to replace the young black taxi driver that we didn't meet?
0: That was my understanding of it. But he comes in as a totally different part. And uh, I mean, maybe he's just comic relief because he is there to... He is there to juxtapose the fact that he's on his own in the car listening to loud music and has no idea there are terrorists in the building above him. Until the very last minute when he kills one of the uh, terrorists. and
1: oh, He knocks him out.
0: Does he? And I was yeah. understanding that he was dead. But.
1: Yeah, no, he punches him. I mean, I, unless you can kill someone by I mean, you, well, can, you can, but, but
2: yeah,
1: <laughs> um, yeah, no, he knocks him and then like you see the guy trying to get up and he just punches him in okay. the face, so I thought he knocked him out.
2: Uh, this is something you see in a lot of the latter Die Hard movies as well. Not so much in Die Hard 2, which was based on another short story that uh Thorpe wrote called Fifty Nine Minutes. But uh oh. Die Hard with a Vengeance, Live Free or Die Hard, and Good Day to Die Hard always put him opposite a sort of comic relief character. Although I would argue that Samuel L. Jackson both managed to kick ass and be a comic relief character. But Samuel L. Jackson
0: was in one of these?
2: Yeah, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Awesome. Uh Jeremy Irons is also the, the villain in that. It's a if you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend it.
0: So, uh, Leland arrives at the building, uh, he gets upstairs to the party, um, he meets up with uh, his daughter Steffi, uh, yeah. and the executives, Ellis, who is in the movie Die Hard, and uh, Rivers, who is not technically in the movie, but basically becomes Takami, is that his name?
1: Yeah, um, something like but that. But becomes
0: the the um, boss of the company, basically. Um, although his character does change because he's like not interested in cocaine and Ellis remains very interested in cocaine.
1: (laughs) And, and so Steffi, you don't actually see her doing the cocaine. No, uh, it's heavily
0: implied that she was. Yeah.
1: Leland knows that she's the kind of person who would be involved in that. If there's cocaine around, she would be doing it too. Kind of thing.
0: Yeah. She's, she's not regarded really as a, a sensible or nice person. So
1: one of the, one of the big things is that in the movie, his wife is the second in command. When, when the boss is killed, she specifically says to, uh, Gruber, or oh, you put me in charge by killing my boss. Um, but in the book, she's the assistant to the vice president. She's not actually in charge of anything. She's She is one of the higher-ups of the firm, but she's not in charge of anything. She's an assistant.
2: Yeah. She's a patsy. I yeah. That was mainly thanks, again, to the 80s and yeah. having that sort of 80s culture coming in where you started to see more women involved in business uh, rather than just as glorified secretaries or assistants to the men that were working in companies.
0: Um, In both situations, uh, McLean slash Leland heads off to uh, clean himself up so he can join the party at large. Uh, But as he's in the separate room, uh, the terrorist attack. Yeah. And we're introduced to Gruber and his band of villains, and I quite like their introduction in the movie. Actually, like the it's filmed very well with them all arriving in the truck. They have a very thought out and thorough plan, and it kind of demonstrates in a way that I mean, obviously it couldn't do because the book can obviously describe the action to the reader. The movie can't say those things out loud, and so it visually portrays their arrival as very well thought out and coordinated. And they have an exact plan. They know the blueprints. They they know they know everything they need to do to get where they want to go, and so. Uh, they head upstairs and they basically take all the guests hostages uh, while McLean slash Leland is in another room. I just, yeah. this is this is the problem. The fact that we prefer the book is that we're calling we have to call him Leland, but he's McLean. Yeah. So I'm, from now on, we're just going to call him John McLean. Yeah. <laughs> <'Cause> McLeland. <Mac-Leland. laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a better name actually. Yeah. We'll call him McLeland.
1: It's uh, important to know that he's taken off his shoes. Um, and he's taken them off because in the book, it was in a previous flight ages ago, but in the movie, it's one of the first things that happens is this passenger he's sitting next to says to him, uh, taking off your shoes, washing them, and then scrunching up your toes into fists on carpet, yep. um, is better than a hot shower and a cup of coffee. So From waking
0: you up and making but, you feel yeah. like you're off the plane.
1: Yeah. And so in the movie, you see him doing that and he's like, Oh, it works. And that's important because when the terrorists attack, he doesn't have shoes on, and he has to basically act and not put any shoes back on. They do. Um,
0: they do actually describe the reasons that he doesn't look for anyone else's shoes quite differently in yeah. the movie. It's because he can't find any that fit. Yeah. In the which in is
1: a much better explanation than, than you the, don't take a dead man's shoes. Okay. It's, it's like just yes, polite. you do
2: if it stops you if it helps you fight bad guys in a yeah. building. Yeah. Well, that was one of the things I think I learnt about when we did forensic anthropology is that in terms of the downfall of society the last thing that goes is always respect for the dead in terms of like not taking a dead man's shoes I can I can it was believable at least to me yeah I I didn't have a problem with it I think it's funny
1: it was believable it was maybe slightly it maybe slightly and made me annoyed at the character
0: but it makes him more of an icon, doesn't it? Because you think about the the barefoot assault on the terrorists, like that's part of his yeah thing as being
1: basically John shirtless too, because he's just wearing a vest, his undershirt.
0: Yeah. Does his shirt change color in the film? I thought he was in a white singlet, and it then gets dirty. Does It, okay. yeah, it, it gets, gets dirty. very dirty for no really. Expl- well, there's well, a, really a couple of explosions and yeah. yes. fire and. Yeah. They
1: do explain in the book that he, he's been like crawling through like elevator shafts where there's oil and grease. So, I mean, I believe it.
0: Yeah, they basically say he's almost black yeah. because of how, how dirty he's crawling through the shafts yeah. and everything. And they obviously... They, you don't do that in a film because you leave your, your star actor's face visible to the audience. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so they never really go that far. But um, And so this is basically where the bulk of the action commences. So up to this point in the movie, while I've been watching... I'm thinking, oh, this has taken a, a little bit to get into. Like it it, it, it does ta- it takes a good eighteen minutes before the first gunshot fires in the entire film. And some of those those bi- those beats take a little while to get into. But here's where the action starts because as soon as you see Alan Rickman on screen, you know he means business.
1: Yeah, but I mean I'd argue that it takes longer in the in the yeah, book. Yeah, and I felt the same
0: way about the book as well. I was like Okay, because I know yeah. the story, like terrorists attack a building. And so eventually when they get in there, that's that's really when the bulk of this kicks off.
1: Yeah, because you've got the pre-flight, the flight and getting to Nakatomi Plaza or Claxon Building yep. in the book before the terrorists arrive. Whereas in the movie, it's, oh, he's just getting off the plane when the movie starts. So yeah. you've cut out ages and ages of the book.
0: Yeah. And so uh, here he begins to kind of plot his thinking as what he's going to do. I mean, he's not even sure if he's going to fight them. He debates whether he's going to lay low, whether he should take them all on and go out in a blaze of glory,
2: whether he should join the hostages. He's not really sure what he should do. Yeah. For me, this is the point where I prefer the movie. I find that with with Leland, it's very much... I, I read him similar to Liam Neeson's character in Taken. Like, he is a man with a very specific set of skills and... If you put anyone else in the situation, it wouldn't turn out the way that it does. Like, it it needs him to succeed. Whereas I always got the idea that McLean is sort of an everyman, like... It's the showing you what an ordinary person could do given extraordinary circumstances because the tag is always uh, wrong. He's the man in the wrong place at the wrong time, which I think they again carry on to the other films as well.
0: I think that this is uh, the, this kind of results from the way that they treat the McLean character and what they want that character to be because I think the book does focus more, although it doesn't explicitly say it, it does focus more on his age and the more complex parts of his personality regarding his relationship and, and his Past experiences, you know, as a war vet and things like that. Whereas the movie, for whatever reason it chooses to do this, makes him a cop who's still been a cop. You know, he is still an active cop over in the NYPD with uh, someone he loves very much still uh, being held hostage. Although, and, and you know, he does love his daughter in in Nothing Lasts Forever, but it's it's you know less of a kind of an active uh, love relationship yeah and so yeah I think the uh it's just the result of the way that they treat the McLean character in general as to why he takes different routes but i I agree I do prefer the movie version sorry uh, the movie version of this in general
1: you prefer the movie version
0: of oh, the of the character and what he does oh, here. Okay. Yeah, yeah yeah, not yeah. as a whole
1: yeah. yeah um yeah I I don't know I think I just prefer a more fleshed out character yeah I, I liked. I liked the book version. The other thing that happens here is immediately he knows that he can't just get on the phone um, because he is mid-conversation with the limo driver. I think in the book uh, he, he just goes into an office and tries to use the phone. Yep. when he's still in the office upstairs like yeah yeah on the He, first he the first thing
0: he does is go yeah. upstairs and then when he finds an empty space he tries to get in contact yeah. with someone
1: um so i mean that is one of the ways that the limo driver is relevant is that he's on the phone to him and the phone cuts out so he immediately knows that that option is gone
0: actually one thing i do prefer about uh, the actions of the character in the book is that right here the first thing he does is go and map out the floors yeah so he uses his instincts he's right like He says to himself, I've got to know the landscape of this if I'm going to be able to combat them effectively or even to hide effectively, you know. He has to know the situation and, and what his best options are. He's very thorough in his examination. And I think this is something that's particularly hard to do in a book is to map out an area and describe it to the reader. Um, Because, I mean, especially in a book, you're covering eight floors' worth of things, and some of them only get a one-sentence explanation. Some of them get entire paragraphs dedicated to them. Uh, And he's regularly all over the floors, up and down the stairwells, the lifts. However, he gets from floor to floor uh, over the course of the book. He's all over the place. And so uh, there are times when it works and times where it doesn't, but it's at least a good thing to start with by mapping out these floors. And kind of giving the reader a picture of what's happening. It's, it's hard to say what's going to... It's hard to kind of describe what happens here because it is just... A, it, we start the first of our kind of sequences of action uh, here. He climbs to the roof... Uh, he climbs the stairwell.
1: Yeah, so I think one of the first things, which is also one of the first things in the movie, is uh, one of the guys catches him, or he catches one of the guys off guard. He kills him by breaking his neck, and then he puts him in the lift. And um, this is like one of the seminal moments of the movie is, uh, now I have a machine gun, ho, ho, ho. He writes on his jumper. That's not quite how how it happens in the book. No, like he the, doesn't write anything on him.
0: No, so so he
1: just sends him down.
0: Die dead. Hard. In Die Hard, he's over, he's trying to overhear the conversation between Gruber and yeah. his cronies, and he still does that in the book. Is he? He's,
1: yeah, book? he's still on top of the lift in the book. Yeah, he's on top of the lift, isn't he? Yeah. So he's in both. He's he's on. It's just the message. He just in the book. I don't think he puts a message on the guy. He just sends him down dead yeah. in a chair. Um. So they know someone's killed him but he actually actively taunts them in the movie, which is like a funny moment.
0: That's right. And that's iconic. Again, I hadn't seen this before, but I'm like, now I have a machine gun. It's yeah. one of the more pervasive mm. bits yeah. of this. Because
2: uh... the thing is, he doesn't actually get a machine gun in the, uh, in the book. It's a, uh a thompson uh smg which is actually a uh, it's an old sky style uh rifle uh, sorry submachine gun that was used during the war so it's not a very effective uh weapon when they talk about the fact that the terrorists the rest of them at least are armed with uh, ak-47s which at the time was the the rifle of choice for pretty much every armed insurrection ever
0: and the character is, is pretty adamant that that's what he's after if he wants to defend himself well
1: yeah. See, that makes a difference to you. I, I'm sure that makes a difference when you're reading, when you know what the difference between. I mean, I could have looked it up, but when you know initially know immediately know the difference between the two guns, it was like I have this time, type of automatic rifle, and I want the other one. And I was just generally picturing an automatic rifle. But well, like, uh, to me, there's just an automatic rifle, and that's it. So. Yeah. I
0: mean, I'm not an expert, but I, but I thought the book conveyed pretty briefly and effectively that it was like, well, I have this gun, but there is a better gun out there, and I would like one of those, please.
1: Yeah, but I think like I didn't understand. And how they could be different do you know what I mean yeah like a yeah. gun is a gun <laughs>
0: yeah
1: yeah it's just interesting like different readings of stuff I mean I guess the people
0: the target audience for the book are kind of going to have at least a general
1: yeah
2: awareness of, of
1: yeah I think what a
0: Kalashnikov
2: is I think you get this with a lot of writers is that they if they've got that background on that particular thing they there's a lot that they assume is just common knowledge so particularly say a lot of uh, certain medieval fantasy writers will do a lot to describe certain parts of armor where if you don't know anything about armor you'll be like what what is that?
1: Yeah, and I think also they don't want to talk down to the people who already know, who are their people, who already know what they're talking about. They exactly. really are catering to those people, which is fine. It's it's fine. Like I go into this kind of book knowing that there's probably going to be gadgets where I'm like, okay, <laughs> all I need to know is what it does.
0: <laughs> uh, so the, the terrorist that he has killed and sent down uh, in the elevator, it ends up that this is the younger brother of one of the uh, terrorists, Carl. Who is a part of Groover's group, and I love this is part of why I love Leland as a character is that he he's got you know he's overhearing and he knows because uh, he gets a radio the, off of the, the first man he kills and this is a, an instrumental part of his future plans is that now he can listen in. Uh, on their conversations And he overhears some anger and things like that And so he knows that Carl uh, Whose brother's just been killed Is now mad and wants to take action And that that's not what Tony Gruber is after at all He wants calm and patience And for the plan to go exactly as he has Thought it out in his head Yeah, uh, And so I just love the thought as he's analysing this And planning his next move Just piece to piece He's always um, changing his, his thoughts as he goes And so we start like a sequence of taking them out Kind of one by one sort of thing at some point here, he decides to make himself known to uh, Gruber, and so he makes the radio call through to him, and uh, and for the first time they meet. Honestly, can't remember what sort of order yeah. this stuff happens in. It's, yeah, it's very there's a lot of
1: just back and forth between floors, killing minions. Um,
0: I do. This is why this is almost an element of why I prefer the book is that I think it's very clear at the outset. Is there's twelve? There are twelve villains, and here's what you got to do, and you know over you know the pages that you can see in front of you, that he's going to have to whittle them down one by one because there's no way he could theoretically take on any more than realistically two at a time and come out alive.
1: Yeah. So I'd say, you know, we can probably jump to the next major change. Well, I, or, or maybe the next major plot point, which is... Um, which is our
0: pal, our pal.
1: Yeah, which is <laughs> our pal being called. So um, first he sets a fire alarm off, which is different to the um, the book. So the, in the book, he goes to the roof. He flashes some lights in would be Morse code, wouldn't it? Or morse code is sound. I guess uh, no, I think this
2: is light. Morse can be light, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. So he he flashes flashing an SOS. Yeah, an SOS, and someone in the Los Angeles Hills sees and now the person that
0: sees this in is this. They come back on the radio later on. Is that the person who it was that?
2: I think that was. I don't think they actually ever uh, fully tell you who that person was, but yeah. there's a heavy implication that it was uh, Taco Bill. Taco Bill, yeah. I think somewhere I read in
0: the note. Again, this is in the notes from the book that the person in the hills was actually. It's it's supposed to be Roderick Thorpe.
1: Oh okay.
0: Um, because he wrote this book from his house. Funnily enough, on a place where he could see Worthington Plaza, which is um, right. the street right next to the building, and he could see the skyscraper. And so apparently his um, uh, his wife said in some of her notes on the manuscript that he would have been just the kind of person who would write himself into the book like this. And so he's an unnamed character, but he's the kind of the person who gets the signal and alerts yeah, the police.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So he, he, um, he alerts the police without alerting the terrorists that he's done that and so in the movie it's a pretty big change sets the fire alarm off they see and they turn the fire engines around again they call them and say oh it was a false alarm so he sees the is going away and he's like okay well how can i get them back so basically he starts sosing on the police band on, on the, the radio brain. so that he's given the game up that he's there the, the terrorists can hear him and in the movie there. there's
0: only one channel on the radio basically although it's, it's yeah there are, there are clearly multiple that are being used in nothing lasts forever
1: yeah mm-hmm. um and then the uh you get this frustrating scene where there's a police woman being like oh it's coming from the same place that the Fari's was sent to and the, there's another police woman going oh this is only for serious serious calls it's like really
0: this is one that this is she's a she's a predecessor of our good friend we will be introduced to shortly Dwayne T Robinson yeah um, as an example of how crappy some of the police here are <laughs>
1: Even if you did think it was a prank call... I guess I don't know how these things really work, but like send I, I would to be pretty anyway. sure that they would send someone to investigate anyway.
0: I think the, the thing is that they keep reminding you of this in the book is that it's Christmas Eve, so there's not a lot of cops around at the moment, you know, people are with their families, people are travelling, all that sort of thing. There are kind of st- – and it's – I mean, the book also does a great job in setting out the time because its chapters are arranged by what time it is yeah. at the beginning of the chapter. Uh, and so this takes place over the course of one night, which is Christmas Eve onto Christmas Day which is something we've not really talked about. But the movie kind of is just like, it's Christmas and doesn't really focus on the time. And uh, this is actually because uh, McTiernan originally planned this to be over three days. And apparently he was inspired to make it one day uh, by uh, A Midsummer Night's Dream. He went inspired by the fact that the original book took one day. (laughs) okay?
1: I liked the way the movie kept suggesting it was Christmas by having Christmas carols in minor. And also the um it also had like a German flair and also Christmassy because this is Ode to Joy. It had Ode to Joy.
0: That was one of the big minor. decisions they made about yeah. it was to have the terrace there. And I think that kind of adds a comic element to it. It, yeah. it does help bring a little relief to some of the darker touches yeah. of it. Yeah. And that was I one really of the Tiernan's aims was to to nullify kind of some of the darker aspects of nothing lasts forever. So anyway, our pal Al Powell comes down and checks out the building. Uh, he gets super close. He's almost killed, and then he's like, "Nah, screw this, I'm leaving." Yeah. And uh, then gets shot at on he the way out. He has a pregnant
1: he has a pregnant wife at home. Yeah. He doesn't get shot out the way out. He doesn't get shot out until uh, McLean shoves the guy he's just killed yes. out the window, and he yeah, lands on the car. Yep. Yeah.
0: Which I think is also straight from the books yep, as well. straight yeah. from yep. the book. He does it for a different reason because he's not alerting the copies right there. But he's like, if I throw someone out the window, someone will notice this.
1: Yeah, because he, he's alerted, he knows he's sent the SOS. He doesn't know if anyone's coming. So he throws the body out the window so that when... Even if the terrorists clean the body up, they won't be able to clear the blood, blood off the stairs... And then so when the cops arrive, they'll see that there's a huge pool of blood on the stairs and they'll have to do something. So
0: it's just a general thing of alerting the cops. Yeah. In different methods. Yeah. Um, And so this is when the siege kind of aspects of it begins. So the more police do start to arrive. um, The LAPD, Dwayne Robinson ends up pulling up to the building. Um, McLean here has to get off the roof. Uh, because he's obviously discovered in his attempts to use the radio uh, from the roof uh, as Gruber sends his men up there. He's chased kind of down the ducts and everything. There's a really good chase in here. There's one of my favourite action parts of the movie is he's kind of like climbing through the uh, ventilation shafts. It only barely
2: escapes uh, notice, all that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, well, this is one of the points. Um, so, there's a channel, Screen Junkies, on YouTube, who do a bunch of uh, honest trailers, is their thing for honest trailers of movies. They also do a mini series called Honest Action, where they bring in a doctor to analyze all of the action sequences in a movie and tell you what type of injuries a person would suffer. And this is the first time where I believe John McClane would die. So there's the point where he sort of takes the strap off the machine gun to jump down the vent. That's Um, a
1: really cool scene.
2: Yeah. When he tries to grab that ledge, he would have broken all of his fingers and then fallen down the uh, the elevator shaft and died. I could believe that. This is this scene is really great because
0: directly lifted from the book. Yeah. And in the book, I often had a hard time picturing exactly what was going on. Uh, obviously, you can do your best. Um, but he's describing so many shafts and positions of things. I'm like, I don't re- like, I know roughly what's going on and what he's trying to do, but it's hard to position that he's using the gun as a thing to end the strap because he's got a lot yeah. of different straps and kit yeah. bags and he talks about getting the gun back down, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. The movie is much better at portraying that sort of thing. For me,
1: I really liked in the movie that by doing that he lost the gun I thought the Roderick Thorpe like weakened his position there by having him like be able to then pull the bag and the gun down I I really liked in the movie like as as Brad just pointed out, it's super unrealistic, but it makes you feel in the moment as if it's more realistic the fact that he loses his gun by doing that.
0: It's also in the book he's not under direct pursuit at that time. Like yeah. there are not there are people who know that he can't come out without alerting them, but they don't follow him into that sort of region. They're just kind of staying on the roof and they're aware yeah. of where he has gone. And
1: he can't go back into the elevator shaft, so he's going into the air conditioning shafts instead of the air the elevator. Um he can't go back into the elevator shaft because they know that's where he was before yeah so they're like you know, basically they're watching that time yeah um so yeah that's kind of another seminal point that's slightly different so then he sort of crawls along and they they're shooting the the ducts, the the big lines of ducts. um
0: and then they're called back to the yeah uh, the so
1: that's offices. a bit of a nail-biting moment let's
0: talk here about one of the characters that is different uh totally new to the movie uh which is the tech assistant friend of hans Gruber's. Yeah. Um, so they're trying to break into the vaults. There are these seven locks. The tech assistant can deal with six of them, and he needs something else to happen for the seventh to open, which is totally out of his control. And is like, "Don't worry about it. I have a plan. We'll talk about it later about when <laughs> they get to that point." Um, he says,
1: "It's Christmas." <laughs> yeah, we
0: need a miracle or something. And it's, and it's, the reveal of that in it later on is very very clever and well done. Yeah. We'll talk about when we get there. This character is totally new. He's also portrayed by a very white guy who's not remotely German. Is he supposed to be American? He speaks perfect English. Um, he's one of the people who comes in talking about football when they first invade. you mean the, the black? Plaza.
1: You mean the black guy? You said white Is guy. Is he? Oh,
0: sorry. Sorry, my apologies.
1: <laughs> Adam's like, I don't see colour.
0: All my friends are black and white.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, no, he's like the only black guy on the terrorist group.
0: He's so American, th- he's right? He's
1: American, yes. Yeah. So, so I suspect he's been
0: recruited from some yeah. something to do this specific job.
1: Yeah, so that was different. Um, Which I guess you can
0: buy in the movie as, as they are just a group of thieves rather than a gang of political ideologists.
1: Yeah, they're... Um only have European guys in the movie. Well, and women. They have women as well on their team in the book.
0: Yeah, this is totally cut out from the movie. I can see kind of why. Like, even though it's an, obviously an M-rated movie, would have been R-rated back in America.
1: Yeah, it is. Um,
0: it is. There, uh, violence against women is still a big kind of thing when it's portrayed on screen. And especially the age of some of the characters who, which are talked about in the book. Yeah. Some of these people, and this is part of, Maclean, uh, of Joe Leland's, Problems is he's like, I'm killing these young people who have no idea what they're doing. Um, And as an older guy, he's like, You barely lived your lives, and he's he's fighting a 20, 18 year old woman who's coming at him, you know?
2: It's, I think, for them, what Thorpe was trying to do is, again, because they're East German terrorists. The idea is, again, they're communist, and the whole thing with communism was that a lot of it was about everyone being equal so you would expect to see women and men fighting alongside each other in a guerrilla outfit. It was very sort of characteristic of the terrorist cells at the time but I don't think that excuses just how the women on the uh, terrorist team end up getting treated by, by Leland.
1: So what you often get in these movies is the movie will be like, oh, we're treating men and women equally um, because there's women on the bad guys team and they get killed the same as the male bad guys do but that the um violence the way the women die is a lot more violent and gruesome than the because they know they can use that for shock value so whereas a male character will just get shot and you'll just see him die a female character will be mutilated and then shot or hung or gutted or so it's actually still perpetrating violence against women so what i did appreciate in the book was that the women bad guys were killed by John McClane or Joseph Leland in exactly the same way he killed the male terrorists. It really was equal, you know, even though you get a bit of a squick factor from him killing anyone. Um, he does express
0: very clear, instant remorse. Yeah. doing it's like, I and only have to do this because it's the only way yeah. I'll survive.
1: He, and he feels worse about the younger men and the women than he does the other people. Yeah, it, it is better than a lot of instances you see in film and books. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I just, I think I felt though that the, the fight between him and Hannah was a lot more, this is in the book, uh, a lot more extended than say the fight where he, when he kills Carl's brother.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a, it's a trope. You use yeah. the female characters for the emotion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, James Bond is an excellent example of this. The female characters always get killed in like the worst ways, most messed up ways because you know, oh no, now James Bond can have some man feelings about how his female friend died. You know, it's... Yeah. It's not great, but do you have
0: I, a just out of cheer curiosity, like what do you guys think about the women being taken out of the movie in that aspect, in that the entire terrorist cell or the thieves group is men?
1: I think you're right. I think people. Do and definitely did have a problem seeing violence done to women, um, for good reason. And I think maybe the director or whatever just didn't under maybe didn't understand a way that he could do it without evincing horrible feelings in his audience. So he just took them out. Yeah. I can understand why. Hinted, he hinted hint, Game of Thrones. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm. I'm not. I'm not opposed to taking violence against women out of things, to be honest, until we have like, you know, on screen more equality of like, you know, not every superhero movie has the refrigerated woman, you know, who just gets murdered because that will give the man some feelings to have. Until we reach a more equal footing, there, I'm perfectly happy if movies have less violence against women in them. Is there a
0: single woman killed in this entire film?
1: No, you see some boobs at one point.
0: You see, some, <laughs> there's, there's two sets of boobs. There's yeah. the Playboy, um, oh, yeah, thing, which the Playboy he uses is, as a marker, and
1: you see some real live boobs. Yes,
0: uh, a play, former Playmate of the Year, believe it or not. Oh, really? as well. <laughs> there you go. As well as uh, another Playboy alumnus who was the woman who jumped into her partner's arms at the airport.
1: Ah. Oh. Oh, okay. Cool.
0: Mm-hmm. And we all buy it for the articles. <laughs> well, not anymore. The no one buys all it for circulation. Yeah, <laughs> so no one buys it at all. So this is kind of where the siege segment of the story begins, as the police start to arrive. Uh, we're introduced to our good friend Dwayne T. Robinson, mm. who is a jerk, and the main reason that uh, very famous film critic uh, Roger Ebert uh, gave this film a negative review. He thought that this character ruined the film. He I was can that see bad. that. He's very like. A negative influence on i mean obviously his character is supposed to represent uh, an opposite to uh, Al pal pal
1: yeah well, he's supposed to represent the bureaucracy of the police and yep. the government and whatever yeah because in the book he comes in he you know shitty and annoying but then mclean leland says no give the mic give the radio back to our pal and he does and then he maybe comes back like two times more Whereas in the movie, they make him central. And so he's just ruining everything. And then you add on top of that, the two FBI agents who are also idiots.
0: Johnson and Johnson.
1: Johnson and Johnson. <laughs> They're all. Uh, I really like the line where it's just like, it's Johnson. No, the other one. Yeah. <laughs> when he's on the radio. Apparently TV.
0: this was a joke um, uh, for <laughs> the cast member we playing our pal um, uh, someone. I think his last name is Pal Johnson.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. add on top of that, you have these really inept stupid... Well, not inept... Yeah, inept. Let's go with that. Mm. Stupid FBI agents. It just makes it so frustrating because you're like, you really feel like he's being left alone to just fight for himself. Whereas in the book, there's a certain element of that, but there's an even bigger element of, especially Al is trying to toe the line between doing it by the book and doing it the way that the guy who's actually in the building is saying they should do it. Because it also would have been unbelievable if they'd just gone, oh, yeah, we'll do exactly what you say, person we've never met before. There's sort of, you've got to toe that line. And the book does a really good exa- really good show of showing them doing that. And the movie just throws that away. It's stupid. It's really stupid.
0: No, I agree. I think, um, I mean, I, I really, really dislike when I was watching it. I'm like, oh, like, no cop would actually be this, like, ridiculously unwilling to try and accept what's what's sitting in front of him and he's so totally like just wants to take over every single instance I understand that you might have some resistance or some skepticism that are doing like especially his point that uh, McLean on the radio could well be a terrorist like that I was like yeah duh that, that's pretty sensible to think of um, but then at some point when it's pretty clear that he's not he persists with all his bad reasoning and eventually when the FBI get there he's kind of shown up for being yeah. a patsy and then someone who just wants to be in control
1: yeah well that's what I mean so it shows the initial actions of Robinson Robinson yeah Um, th- they seem completely reasonable when when Al is like well he he knows what a fake ID looks like Robinson's like Yeah, he could be a bartender. You know, like, that's completely reasonable. Like, lots of people know what a fake idea looks like. And, you know, you kind of side with Al because he's like, I'm going with my gut. And you're like, well, you're right. So...
0: But that's the thing that we know as the viewer is that we know, of course, we know he's right. We can see what's happening inside the building.
1: The thing for me that turned it in the book and the movie to being like, I hate this character especially in the movie, is the bit where, so jumping ahead a little bit, so basically the police come in and they, they try and get in by brute force and screw Great. it all up. Yeah, they fail real, real badly, even though because mm. McCle- and that's to show that McClane knows what he's doing and they should listen to him, which is a good way of doing yeah, it.
0: This is the, they, he, yeah, this is the bit, again, directly lifted from the book, where he uh, drops the C4 down the elevator shaft yeah. and Shh. destroys... Uh, Is is this one of the points where, like, the building would have blown up?
2: Uh, No, but because you see how the fire sort of comes up through the shaft and knocks him back, he would have suffered third-degree burns, his eardrums would have burst, and his airway would have been scorched, so he would have died.
0: I like that he sits there looking at it until it's, like, a couple floors away from him. He's like, oh, no! (laughs) Like, no! You put a bomb down an elevator shaft, there's only a couple of ways it's going to go, and one of them's right, back up the shaft at you. Just go and hide somewhere. So good. Yeah, I, I had, I, that was a bit of a suspension of disbelief there. But it's yeah. a cool moment, you know. It's one of the big bits from the book, uh, and it was nice to see that.
1: Every, every time in these kinds of movies, I just think of the... Um, what's the South Park puppet thing?
0: Oh, Team America. Team America. America.
1: I just think of the bit in that movie where they have the cool guys don't look at explosions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, every time.
2: Yeah. But um, cool guys, like, you know, people who want to live also don't look at explosions. Yeah. Well, there's uh, there's that movie with Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg, the other guys, and like they're literally standing behind a building when it blows up, and they're both rolling on the ground in pain. Like, oh my god, why does people do this? It's just so dumb. Yep, (laughs) angry. So good.
0: Uh,
1: Um, So yeah, what I was gonna say was the bit that really turned me against Robinson was um, when literally McLean can't do anything because Ellis is being a complete idiot. So Ellis goes, Ellis, who's the like cocaine snorting idiot who's i think third in command in the movie but might have been was the person who Stephanie worked for in the book anyway so he's just he's high and he's, a he's doing cocaine
2: during the like during hostage the situation stage. in yeah. the movie which he's is an idiot it's a really dumb idea even if you are like on cocaine because it's <laughs> yeah. just going to make you even more wide in a very tense situation
1: because you can go from different people's perspective in the movie whereas in the book you're just from Leland's perspective the movie does a really good job of showing this scene, as opposed to getting it secondhand in the book. But basically, he goes to Gruber and goes, "Oh, I know who the person is who's around, who's who's messing up your plans, kind of thing." And first, you think he's going to give up that it's Stephanie's father or or Holly's husband, but um, he says, "Oh, it's it's my buddy, it's John McLean, my friend," which is just such a stupid thing to do. And McLean does everything in the movie to say tell him we're not friends like he's gonna kill you um and especially he's gonna kill you if you lie to him just, like, stop telling all these lies. And and he's just like, no, 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 I know him. Don't say that. And the police... So the police are listening to this, this whole conversation, because, as you said, it's all on the same channel. And then when Gruber shoots him, Robinson blames McLean for that. And it's just obviously not McLean's fault. He's like, oh, you you caused his murder. You pulled the trigger as far as I'm concerned. No. There was a terrorist being terrorists.
0: For some reason, he's angry that he can't do his, like... His jaw. He can't be the one saving the day. I think.
1: Yeah,
2: it's,
0: it's just, he's a uh, uh, he's probably one of the weakest characters yeah, in the story. So annoying. Um, and as such, it's very easy to dislike him. Um, in addition to w- the way that he should be dislikable as a kind of a an yeah. anti-hero. The movie you know, like
1: overdoes it. It's shit. The movie's not shit. <laughs> Adam's just throwing his phone on the ground. Um, yeah. So so then add to that these two. FBI agents show up and they're like we're gonna play it by the FBI playbook which is a big difference so in the movie um the FBI turning up plays exactly into Gruber's hands which I think was probably the next big thing that happened
0: yeah so this is this is a um again this partly diverges from the book because of the the locks that they need to get into the vault as such um and also uh, the kind of times diverge a bit here in the book so the book uh there's a kind of a stalemate point where um, Leland has to wait until daylight or something uh, regarding the helicopters that are about the, probably going to be approaching. I found this a little confusing at times, the way they discuss why the helicopters would have to wait and so they were coming out of the light. And there's also other characters now starting to give advice, like his buddy Billy, who's they kind of gotten in touch with. Uh, Kathy Logan's now still in touch with him and he's kind of using her as a thing. It's like this double crossing over the radio to treat the terrorists, but you're really never sure what... Uh, Entire what's going on.
1: This is another huge difference from book to movie, is in the book a bunch of different reporters have obviously shown up and Leland uses the fact that there are cameras on the building and they're saying it's a live broadcast but he realizes it's a delayed broadcast. He uses that to his advantage. He he knows if he does something, they'll show it a few seconds later. So then Gruber, if he's not aware it's a delayed broadcast, he'll think that this is happening when actually this is happening. So that's all really cool in the book. And he's also talking to Kathy. So he's saying things to her that have a double meaning. One meaning to her, one meaning to the police or triple meaning, one meaning to Gruber. Like, so it's, it's really interesting in the movie. You get this super horrible reporter character who basically the only thing he does is almost ruin everything by going to the home of the McLeans and interviewing two small children
0: no reporter in their mind would do that. I, the, I mean, maybe they might have done they get sued. then, but like, yeah, you get super like in jail for that. <laughs> yeah, he like blackmails the the Latina maid, um, and then goes and like. Almost Like semi-abducts their two kids On the TV, it's like you can't do that without yeah, a
1: waiver You can't do that You can't interview children You wouldn't be able to put the children on television without Parental permission There's, There's not journal- a single
0: media character in the film That comes out yeah, of this well
1: Journalists mm-hmm. have ethics and like it's really Super important, like I hate In movies when they just show journalists Just doing whatever they want because you know 99.9% of Yeah, you get your one rogue journalist But like 99.9% of journalists appreciate the fact they have to stick to the rules and they know the reasons for them and they they do
0: and yeah they'll probably go to the house but they never burst in the door and like blackmail the maid so they could interview the two children yeah the
1: two children one of whom's maybe three or four maybe and one of whom's probably not even talking yeah so stupid yeah um so yeah that's probably another really big difference in the yeah, but the
0: final part basically in, in the movie of Gruber's plan is that he needs the, he knows if the FBI come, one of the oh, standard yeah. procedures will be that they shut down the power to the building, which is something that he can't do from inside the building, I believe, without like, Alerting other people or something like that, and basically as well, soon as they shut, just can't. as soon as they shut down the power, that by default turns off the last lock and opens the vault to them, so that they can start uh, stealing all the like hundred thousand dollar bonds that are in there.
1: Yeah, I think he says I think Six hundred million. million, which is such such a funny amount. It, it reminded me of Austin Powers, where he's like one million dollars. No, that's not a lot of money, because <laughs> you know in movies now it'd be six hundred billion. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Well, I think it was it just
1: shows how much the dollar is inflated. Mm,
2: well, it was six million in the book, wasn't it? So, yeah. it was only six million. Six million is yeah. yeah.
1: just so funny. Yeah, it's like people hadn't even heard of that amount of money in the late eighties, and it's mm-hmm. like oh, it just shows you know now it would just be some hundred billion or whatever.
0: Yeah,
1: it's very funny.
0: Uh, At this point, he's probably taken out, I think, roughly seven of the terrorists. We get a bit of a showdown, uh, which is the same in both books, where uh, they decide, uh, at least uh, to different extents, uh, they get glass on the floor. In the book, it's on the floor of the stairwell, which they know that he's using to get from floor to floor. In the movie, they shoot the glass in the only place that he can get out of, uh, which basically means that he has to step on it in barefoot and that his main method of travel is now... um,
1: so the bit that's happened before this is the bit that's really different, which is the face-to-face. Yeah, okay. so that's Because that's how Gruber knows he's barefoot.
0: Yeah. I mentioned this uh, beforehand in part of one of the bits of trivia, is that they only added this scene because uh, McTiernan wanted them to meet up beforehand but couldn't really think of a way to do it. And when they realised Rickman could do an American accent, they're like, oh, he could be a f- pretending to be a hostage so he could meet up with, with McClane. There were times of this where I was like, why don't you just kill him? Yeah. He had a gun in his back. It's like a real villain would have just shot him. But yeah, but it that I guess he, he
2: but he didn't really know is that because he didn't know where the C four was or something? Because he still had the detonators? I Probably. I think that was the that was the whole plot point, was they couldn't kill him because he had the detonators. Yeah. And I think their plan was, initially in the books at least, to blow up the entire building anyway. Yeah. That was how they were going to make their escape. Yeah.
1: yeah. So he's met him and then he gets cornered and, and Gruber says, shoot the glass. So then um, you have this horrible visceral scene where he's pulling himself into a bathroom and his feet are just leaving this trail of blood, which was gross, but cool.
0: I thought, because <laughs> they don't show him stepping on the glass and walking away in the movie they show him picking it out of his feet i thought once we got past the scene i'm like oh good we're not gonna have to watch that and watch the glass in his feet but no you see him picking it out piece by piece the big ash i was like oh no
2: not for me which would have like completely severed possibly at least severed his flexor tendons in his feet the ability to walk like he probably wouldn't have been able to walk after that at all yeah
0: that was that was part of i'm assuming that's another honest action finding
2: uh that was an honest action
0: finding but Uh, He would not have died from that. No, no, I didn't expect him to die, but I'm like, well, you're probably barely even going to be moving because that's his only method. and he's shown to be like running and stuff later on as well. So basically here, uh, as Gruber's in the vault, how do they they discover he's McLean again?
1: Because of Ellis.
0: Oh, no, it's not because of Ellis, it's because of the TV with the interview.
1: Oh, they discover that his wife's there because of the TV.
0: Yeah, and then he picks up a picture. Yeah. So at this point, um, Gruber realises via the television interview that uh, Holly who is now obviously in charge of the people, uh, and has been to her bests. Possibly, you know, best possible attempt has been trying to help out the hostages. One of whom is pregnant and things like that. That she is McLean's ex-wife, uh, and so they lift a strange him, wife. A strange, I think they're
1: still married. Uh,
0: and lifts up the the picture which she's put down on her desk, and he's like, and so he's now he realizes this is John McLean who's married to Holly, and so he takes her hostage specifically, and instructs the rest of the uh, his gang to take the remaining hostages up to the roof. He knows the helicopters are coming. And that they probably would be happy to sacrifice some of the hostages in in return for taking out. And they, they show this conversation as the helicopters approach. They're like, we can probably take out most of the terrorists with maybe 25% loss of hostages. And they're like, I'm okay with that. And it's like, yeah. oh, God, really? Like, yeah. again, you'd never do this these days. You'd-
1: yeah, the cowboy FBI agents being like, or well, one of them's like, this reminds me of um, oh, Vietnam. Vietnam. And then and the other one's like, I was in junior high. It's just like, <laughs> guys are idiots. Yeah.
0: It's not so a great stupid. moment, but yeah. um, but McLean knows that as the helicopters are approaching, because he knows that they have rocket launchers, he knows that they...
1: Have planted the C4 on the roof.
0: Yeah, exactly, and he, so he knows that he needs to get all these people off, so he runs up to the roof and uh, can't get all the people off. He realises that Holly's back downstairs with Gruber, that she, that, which means that he's realised Gruber knows who he is and who she is, and that he's taken a hostage to try and get to him. He, The only way he can get the main hostages back down is by shooting into the air, because people don't like guns, and they... Also don't like listening to common sense, apparently.
1: Well, I mean, you can... The people are scared. They don't know him. He doesn't work there, so they don't know who he is. They, you know, there's lots of them. I I could believe that. He's trying to say, go back down the stairs, and they're not listening to him. I mean, they're a scared crowd of people.
0: They do start running back down the stairs, and uh, this is when the helicopters approach and think that he is uh, a terrorist because he's, you know, shooting a gun in the air, uh, has has got lots of people running away from him, and he's dressed in raggedy clothes. Yeah. And so they decide to start shooting at him, and this is where we get, again, lifted from the book, another of the big moments of Die Hard, where he takes the hose from the roof, uh, and jumps off to kind of get himself in off, into a window on a floor. So I road.
1: imagine this is the point where he would have died.
2: Actually, no. Uh, <laughs> he would have dislocated his shoulder, but he would have survived that fall. And the subsequent explosion by jumping into the water, that would have actually saved his life. This was a
0: pretty good uh, you know, book to movie adaptation of the set piece, I think. I think it was really good. I mean, it, it occurs in different circumstances, in nothing lasts forever. But um, but I really enjoy the hose kind of falling down and, and the, that tension as it's dragging him back out of the window. It's like, oh, no.
1: I really liked, this is one of the points where he seems human because you see him saying to himself, like basically praying to God that... He's, he's saying, I'll never go up a tall building again if you just let me, if you just let me live this one time. I'm never going on a tall building again. That's where I think Bruce Willis's like comedy chops really come in because he just seems so human. And he knows that the point. timing. Yeah. yeah and I, th- I think,
0: I think it's this It's funny moment, and also
1: heartfelt. I think it's you know, the jumping
0: off the building here that really makes him the star. Like this is yeah. what the moment where he's, where the audience is watching and being like, wow, this guy's really good.
1: Yeah. And that's why, you know, they have to really up it in the other movies. Like, I think in one of the movies, he explodes a helicopter with a motorbike.
2: Yep, because he ran out of bullets.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because he ran out of bullets. So, you know, when in your first movie, he jumps off a building, like, just tethered with a hose. You've got to, like, up it every time. It's funny. To
2: the point now where he jumps off a 15-story building and survives, which, again, according to Honest Action, says that he would have not only been dead, but super dead. Extra dead. Extra dead. Like, dead and then dead again. (laughs) Oh, man. So,
0: um, the floor that he lands in is Gruber's floor
1: yes I think so this is the problem with it like, there's so
0: many action bits it's time to keep track. so
1: many floors but it's like 44 building. Like I mean I know you're saying like it's only basically 8 of them but they, we go between floors so often by the end of the book and the movie you're like I don't know where we are
0: yeah so in the book the showdown happens he gets to the floor it's a lovely exchange in the book there are only 3 of them left uh, and he knows that the only one on the floor that he's on is Gruber. He knows that he's on his own. Or is it there's one there with him maybe? I don't know. He, has, he knows he has like two. Yeah, there's one left
2: place. when he gets to Gruber. Yeah. No, no, there are two left after he gets to Gruber. Yeah, he, kills, he, he kills one and then one escapes. Um,
0: And so uh, this is obviously where Gruber's got hostages in Nothing Lasts Forever. It's Steffi in Die Hard it's Holly and there's a very different ending in both although Gruber ends up getting it both times. I was quite surprised when reading the book that um he because most this is a common trope in most things you won't shoot because you're never sure of your aim you don't know whether they'll be able to pull them in front fast enough anything like that Uh, and he just shoots him and Gruber dies um and falls out the window holding on to Steffi who also falls to her death um, which is was unexpected for me I'm like oh he'll let her go nope like, no not she did
1: yeah this is another point for me like unnecessary for her to die in the book uh, just for man pain really
0: but but there is there is kind of a, they never really write anything close to explicit about it but it's like you almost get the feeling he's like is he thinking about killing himself
1: yeah um,
0: because he does have a couple of bullets left obviously and only the one terraced on the floor below. And the book still has a little while to go here, um, but obviously the movie at this point is different because Holly does survive. Also, she does get dragged out the window by Gruber as um, uh, he undoes the Rolex that she was given, and which Ellis uh, points out at the beginning of the film, and that comes back to be the uh, the saving point for her. Uh, John McClane unhooks it, and uh, Hans Gruber falls to his death. Very visually, the whole way down, you see him on the screen until he... Them, which
1: yeah, it doesn't pull a cloud atlas and show you him jellifying on the pavement <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> thank goodness um, but yeah so that's kind of the end of the, the siege for the most part until you get downstairs the book does go into a bit more detail about how they're getting the hostages out but essentially it hits the same beat uh, as the movie
1: also he goes for vengeance in the book so he goes and yes, kills no, the last right. female. Yeah. Terrorist. He knows there's one above
0: him and one below him. There's one above him who's guarding the safe, uh, and there's one below who he thinks is in the lobby, who must have gone down to be the guard there at some point. Yeah, but at least like tries to mask himself with the terrorism escape. I'm uh, not with the with the hostages and escape that way. Yeah. Um, but so in, in the book, and this is totally skipped out in the movie, in Nothing Lasts Forever, he goes upstairs, kills the last woman, totally out of vengeance. He's like, this is for my daughter, and kills her. And then heads back downstairs. and we-
2: Not before he um, lets all of that $6 million that they were trying to yes. steal over um, the Californian people so that they could get the money back.
0: Yeah. Is this what happens in the movie? Because there's paper falling out of the building at the end or is that just like office paper that had fallen out? Because we did see that like the thing that group was stealing was bonds in paper form and their briefcases. It, it, but the last scene just kind of shows like paper falling from the building. I the assumed building.
1: it was just stuff out of the building. Yeah.
2: Could have been either, I don't think it's... Maybe it's
1: just like a suggesting
2: because it finishes it still finishes with let it snow doesn't it yes yeah, yeah. which I think um, if we're gonna go for an old uh, <laughs> the adage of effectively saying make it rain um, when they're talking about like guys going to a strip club and then like throwing dollar bills let it snow could be the fact that it is in fact the bail um, the bail bonds sort of raining down on the people but yeah, yeah. The book form, he heads back
0: down and uh, and basically the, the act of throwing the um, things back off the roof is kind of a way of clearing his innocence or proving his innocence rather um, because he's kind of like, he knows that they have no real visual way to tell if it was him. And so we head back downstairs and in both instances, again, slightly different circumstances, but Carl is the last one we get to. Um, he's already been pretty beat up in the movie but comes back here as not dead. Is that right? Or was he... I, d- I d- there were lots of blonde people so I don't really know which mm, was one they're, they're all German um it's all German to me
1: yeah I think they thought you thought he was dead but he wasn't
0: mm. uh, and in any case he comes back down and uh, is say and but as he attempts to shoot people uh, he's killed by our pal our pal yeah good job al
1: yeah so in the book also so
0: justice
1: yeah um Joe Leland pulls Robinson in front of him when <laughs> so Kind of does murder him. Yeah, a little, a little bit. bit. Uses he does the music.
0: opposite of like diving in front of being the hero and diving in front of someone yeah. to save them. He you, uh, uses him as, as a, a human, a human shield. shield
1: when Carl starts shooting and then Al Powell kills him. But uh, he doesn't do that in the movie.
0: And then Al's like, good job, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I was saying before we started to the guys, the bit that really made the, me prefer the book to the movie happens here. Um, McLean gets super injured. Not, like, the main injury would be, like, all the glass in his feet. And I think he's, in the book he's also been shot in the leg. So in the book, yep. yeah, he immediately is put in an ambulance because that's what you would do. Like, and there would be no bones about it. Like, there would be police out, officers would surround him. The second he came out of the building, they would take him immediately to an ambulance and the ambulance officers wouldn't be having any different. They would be like, you are literally getting this ambulance and that's the only question So, first of all, Argyle drives out in the limo of this building that has, like, just had terrorists in it. And, like, the only cop who raises a gun is Al. And then John's like, no, put it down. It's my friend. It's like, okay. Nobody's stopping this vehicle. They don't know who's inside it. And then uh, John McClane and his wife just get in the limo and leave. Kissing
2: covered in blood. Why
1: is he not in an ambulance?
2: Because he was also... I'm pretty sure he was shot in the movie as well, right? And...
1: Yeah, I thought he was at one point, but then they didn't seem to reference it again. Who's, so. Who
2: was Sean? John um, McLean. John, John yeah, he was shot yeah. in the movie. They, yeah. they did not yeah. show the bullet, I yeah. spent some time last year in an orthopaedics ward, and as I was going up into my room, the person who was leaving the room... Had been shot about twelve months before, and she was still in rehab. Uh, She'd had like all of her nerves had to be reconstructed. She was getting like nerve grafts from everywhere. She was she was still in pain. So yeah, that definitely would not have happened. Doesn't matter when you're an action movie hero. Got balls.
1: It was the one part of the movie I thought just really played to that stupid action hero trope. I was like, ugh.
0: But this is one
2: of those movies that created that trope to Mm. some extent. You know, like this is around that time where I was. But and then I think that is one of the better points in the book though, is the fact that you don't know if he survives. Because he gets in the he gets in the ambulance and like he just says he's gonna think about flying for a while and that's it. And you're like, Well, he could live, he could die.
0: The um I think again this is part of McTiernan's attempts to Uh, make it a lighter film as a summer blockbuster it's something you don't want to have to worry about when he gets near like oh you don't want to leave the theater thinking oh does he survive you want to think man that was cool and he shot him and now he's okay
1: you could literally have the same shot with an ambulance driving away and you could have made sure that you knew that he was going to be okay by having one of the paramedics be like wow you're in better shape than we thought you'd be or you're going to be fine man or what Like, whatever. Put him in a bloody ambulance. I was so annoyed with that, that that was the main reason that I would pick the book over the movie.
2: I think in latter editions, particularly in, I think, Die Harder and Die Harbor with the Vengeance, he does actually get into an ambulance. At the Good! End. Let's briefly talk about the fact that when he exits the building and after he's got his wife in his arms,
0: there's a very weird moment of romantic tension between <laughs> John and Al. <laughs> <laughs>
1: literally going to have a bit of a So There's like romantic music (laughs) playing and there's the looks. I was like, like, your wife is in your arms, (laughs) dude. Like, I know he's your friend, but they... <laughs> but he he's wasn't your friend. You only met him over the radio, like, eight hours know, I, I before. I think you
0: bond, like, doing it. It's funny, but... Not like,
1: to that level. Yeah. That's my like point. <laughs> it was, <laughs> so, it
0: was, it was like, very weirdly filmed, wasn't it? I'm glad I'm not the only that one who felt that. It's
1: so funny. Maybe
0: they wanted to have a celebratory three-way. I don't know. It's Christmas. I mean Al I'm pretty sure Al's got a pregnant wife <laughs> uh, Al's also very di- I mean let, let's not forget Al's a very different character in the film to the book in the book he's only 22 and that brings us to the end of Die Hard and uh, Nothing Lasts Forever mm. which will forever be known as Die Hard the, yeah. I bought forever
1: the, be known as Die Another Day
0: <laughs> I bought I bought this uh, book from the Apple store for reading to read on my iPad and it's the, uh, Nothing Lasts Forever in brackets the the basis for Die Hard yeah yeah <laughs> Like, this book is never going to be anything but known as the thing that Die Hub is based off. And it barely even then, it's probably, most people probably never know it exists. Uh, so, let's recommend. Um, so, we already know, obviously, that all three of us, uh, what our preferences were going in. It was a split decision, slightly in favour of the book. Uh, Lois, what did you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the movie and the book?
1: Uh, thumbs up for both. They're both pretty good. I, I would recommend... The movie, I think it's fun. I don't think you need to have read the book, but the book is also fun. It's like Airplane, a fun book to read on an airplane or, you know, on holiday. It's it's not great literature, but it's good. It's fun.
2: I would, yeah, I'd say two thumbs up for um, movie and the book. I think you get some, I mean, because I think, like everyone else, I, I watched the movie before I read the book. It definitely had that sort of, the issue you always have, I've already had preset ideas of what everybody looked like, but I think... The fact the book describes Leland as a much older man and the fact that the name is different, I saw him as a, a very different character to how I imagined Bruce yeah, was. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I mean, for me, I had,
0: again, I'm probably the only one who had not seen Diad coming into this, uh, and so I read the book before I watched the movie and didn't know what any of these characters were like. I think the book definitely uh, goes into some more complex things about uh, Joe Leland's character than the movie does. Um, there are... There are, there, been, there are definitely pros and cons to each of these, but I also agree I'm definitely thumbs up on both accounts. I think uh, it's a worthy read and a, a good watch. And probably not something I'd go back and watch again, I think, um, but I'm glad that I've now taken it into my cultural vocabulary. Uh, but Adam, it's a Christmas classic. I, mean, when <laughs> I guess when I'll I'm... have to watch the other four, Brad. <laughs> oh, yes. Let's talk about what we're uh, watching and listening to and reading outside of Die Hard. Uh, For me, I've not really had anything on my um, book radar recently. So I spent the last week watching BattleBots. Which is robot wars, but in the in the US, um, it is thoughtless, mindless entertainment. You watch robots fight each other and try to destroy each other.
2: It's great. Uh, I have been playing through the Batman uh, Telltale series. The first episode of that came out recently. Uh, finding it, it's pretty good at showing you what it's like to be Batman the detective rather than Batman the like undisputed martial arts and self master that you see in every other game. A few interesting things they're doing with Batman canon, and I'm really excited to see how they where they take it from here.
1: Uh, I rewatched Van Helsing the other night Which is so dumb But so good I just really love it I really like um David Wenham in it I think he's hilarious He's really
0: underrated I think as David yeah. Wenham He should be in more stuff
1: Yeah Everything about that movie is good Like the last shot of the movie When he looks off into the sunset And like you see like a shadowy form of his girlfriend Like going to heaven It's like he didn't need to actually show us that We could have suggested it <laughs>
0: Well, that brings us to the end of this week's podcast, then. Uh, next time, we're going to discuss Eragon by Christopher Paolini. Hey, uh, we sure are. Sure. We're definitely going to have some things to talk about there. <laughs> I suspect a unanimous jury on the preference. but yeah. We'll see how we go. Where can you find us and contact us, Lois?
1: Uh, you can contact us at uh, we read the book at gmail.com and on Twitter and Instagram at readthebookpod. Yes, you can. <laughs> nah, nah.
0: <laughs> um, don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes uh, and to rate and review as well. It just helps us to get out into the wider world. That's pretty much it for this week, I think. So, yeah. uh, with that, thanks for joining us, Brad. Oh. Yeah,
2: thanks, thanks for Brad. having me.
0: Uh, we'll see you next time. I've been Adam, r pal, Al Pal Heap. I'm Brad, the other agent Johnson Kitsella. Uh,
1: and I'm Lois Gruber Mitchell.
0: We'll see you next time, folks.
1: Bye. Mr. Dur- 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 oh god. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Well,